0: Would you open your Bibles, please, to First Corinthians, and we have been studying through this book and obviously we we 've hit some pretty hard issues uh, things that you don 't normally want to talk about, but when you preach and learn and, and study God's Word in an organized process, you can't avoid the hard things that He talks about. You, and and you don't have the luxury of avoiding the hard things, and you don't have the luxury of just focusing on things that makes everyone feel good. You have to decide something here. Are we going to say what God has to say because everything in His Word is profitable for us? Well, you know that the the latter course of action is the one that we take. And I'm going to go back a little bit today and review a few of the verses that we looked at last week and then move on to the remainder of the ninth chapter. So if you will turn please to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I'm going to begin reading at verse 16 and then we'll read down through the remainder of the chapter. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. That I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew. That I might win Jews. To those who are under the law. As under the law. That I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law. As without law. Not being without law toward God. But under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became as weak. That I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might uh, by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest, when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. I trust that as we open up this portion of God's Word today, there might be a fresh understanding of what the Lord's intent is, not only in the things that we do, but in the attitudes with which we do those things. And we will be turning there in just a moment. Before we pray, I just would like to bring you up to date. As you look around, you notice we still have a, quite a few of our people missing. The gospel team, the, the missions team that went down to Nicaragua, is on their way back. In fact, I think they're traveling back right now as we're speaking. And then they'll be arriving uh, Back here sometime this afternoon, I believe. I, I'm uncertain of the time, but it is this afternoon, correct? Yeah. Well, if you haven't been able to follow them on Facebook, uh, do, do you all get onto Facebook? Some some of you don't. and You, you probably never will, and, and that's okay. I don't like Facebook, but I do like Facebook. I don't like Facebook when I have to start... Answering people who are writing to me and they're they're asking things but what I like about Facebook is that when people have Submitted some things about their behavior and their activities. I can make wise cracks Put them in and run and I love that and then later I find out how many people have read all those wise cracks and whether or not they liked them or not Well, we've been kind of doing that with some of the people that are on this trip and actually with the Edgars And they have really kept us up to date beautifully. They have run a series of pictures literally from every day of activity that our team has had and it's shown how they have helped with a vacation Bible school ministry in one of the outlying towns uh, outside of Managua. They've not only helped with a vacation Bible school ministry but they also were involved in a building project that was to help uh, renovate the, the pastor's house. And um, we probably, unless you see this, you you may think the wrong thing about what it means to renovate. They're not putting in new bathrooms or new kitchens. It is just taking down old rotten wood from the walls that protect them from the elements and putting up new wood and new corrugated steel for the roof. They are working with some people who are very, very... Uh, from our point of view, deprived of this world's goods, but rich in faith. And I'm so glad that our team has been able to help with that. So they have done a marvelous job, and uh, we have pictures to back that up, and I know they're going to want to be sharing some of those experiences with you, and so we'll give them that opportunity when they get back. We want to continue to pray for them now as they return, pray for their safety, and pray that the Lord would keep the, the results of their ministry going forward for his glory. So join me in prayer, if you will, please. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow before you, we do so with joy and thanksgiving because of who you are. You are such a good God. God. We know that you are a God of truth, a God of love, a God who is holy, a God who has infinite power, infinite knowledge. And Father, we've been singing of your concern about each one of us individually. You know our names. Father, if you've named all the stars, it's certainly no challenge to you to know each of us. And Lord, it's hard for us to grasp that reality, that you know us to the very depth and to the very core of our being. And we thank you for that, because Lord, you know how weak we are, you know how dependent we are upon you, you know how anxious we are because of the lives that we can live to your glory, but often don't live to your glory. I pray, Lord, that you would open our minds afresh. And, Lord, as we think of others who are not with us today, some obviously gone on vacation, we pray for their safety, we pray for their spiritual edification today, and we pray that they would come back refreshed and renewed. But, Father, we would pray especially for our team coming back from Nicaragua. How thankful we are for each one who willingly gave of himself and herself to carry out a work of ministry for the praise of your glory. We thank you for the impact that they have already had upon lives, not only of children, but also of some of those who are are part of that little church with which they were working. And we pray, Lord, that the impact of their spiritual ministry might continue, that there would be fruit that would last for all eternity as a result of their efforts. We thank you, Father, for the physical labor that they accomplished. We're thankful for the encouragement that that has to be to the dear pastor there. And we pray, Lord, that you would help him to be able to rejoice as he sees you provide, and, Lord, as he rests in the promises of your strength and of your provision. We pray that you would bless the services at that congregation today. We pray that there would be great spiritual victories won for the praise of your glory. And then, Lord, we pray that you might continue to keep our team safe, we pray that as they return, they would come back without any difficulties. We pray that as they, they go through the, uh, the checking of their, their baggage and, and all of the things that they will have examined, that, that it would go smoothly and it would go quickly. And Lord, we pray that as they return to their families, there would be great rejoicing because of your goodness. Lord, we would pray that perhaps from that group you would raise some up to be missionaries. And possibly some of the young men would become pastors. And we pray, Father, that you would do a mighty work in those that you call to be businessmen. And that those that you call to be homemakers and office workers and factory workers, that they would always use every opportunity for the praise of your glory. Let that be the case in our meeting here today. We will thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. This week, big doings. The Olympics begin. Now, some of you might say, oh, I didn't even know that. (laughs) And I understand that. Not everyone is all that interested in athletics, and, and that's okay. The Lord loves you anyway. But for those of us who really enjoy sports... This is really a great time of year. We love to see the competition. We love to see... Uh, I don't know what things really appeal to you. Uh, the things that appeal to me would be... I, I love to watch uh, the track and field, uh, the running. And I, I really like some of the swimming. The, the diving, eh, that's kind of like the ice skating. That, that's, it's not one of my favorite things. I used to love to watch the boxing especially when, uh, and I think I've mentioned this before, when there was an Iron Curtain and we would be taking on the communists and we would beat them and it was like a victory for freedom when our boxers would win and it was a terrible thing when the Cuban Stevenson would win and then all these other things. And it just becomes a very exciting time. And you say, well, Pastor, you're excited about it. What's the big deal? Here's what I believe the big deal is. I believe, and, and you could disagree with me on this, but I believe the Apostle Paul would be thoroughly thrilled to watch the Olympics. And the reason I say that is because he frequently makes reference to the competition that goes on when people are involved in races and in a variety of different physical activities. He, he does refer to farmers. He refers to the military. But he seems to focus a lot on the athletics. He talks about the judgment seat of Christ, which is the place to which the winners would go to receive their crowns. In the passage that we read today, he talks about the race that we are to to run in order to win the prize. You'll recall that as he gets to the end of his life, he, he brings this conclusion. He says, I've finished the race. I've finished the course that God set out for me. So I think he would look at this, but maybe not for the same reasons that maybe I would look at it. I look at it for the competition itself and I like to see the victor and I like to see how they respond and so forth. And it's a great thing for countries, especially little countries, when one of their people really uh, ascribes and and ascends to the the position of a gold medal or, or any of the medals for that matter. But I think Paul's primary focus would be this. Do you know how those people got there? Discipline hard work, commitment, perseverance, focus. He would look at all that was involved for them to arrive at the place of winning the gold medal. And what he has recognized even up to this point, before we even move into the remainder of this ninth chapter, he's made it very clear that if you are going to carry out the will of the Father for your life, and and one of the things that we, we really need to be aware of is this. When we talk about the will of God, we talk about that will being common for all of God's people in some respects, but unique for each one of God's people in some respects. The commonalities are that the Lord intends for us to be conformed to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And that should be the goal of every born-again believer in Christ, that we are moving toward that conformity to those those elements that are described to us uh, as the fruit of the Spirit, that were manifested perfectly in the person of Christ. And each one of us is, by the grace of God, moving in that direction. But then, the Lord has unique Things for each individual. Some will be involved in carrying out the work of missions. Some will be involved in being homemakers. Some will be involved in working in factories. Some will farm the land. Some will be in the military. And he will have a distinct and unique purpose for each individual. And yet Paul says, knowing all of that, if we are to accomplish that purpose, that will for which the Lord has set us apart, there are some things that we have to be willing to sacrifice. And you remember when we go back to that 8th chapter and if you just turn back, you remember what the, the primary focus was there. He, he said, we've, we've got to be willing to give up the right of indulgence. In other words, that meat that was sacrificed to the idols. Some trip over that because they believe that there is a spiritual connection between the false worship of the idol and the meat that they would be eating so they can't eat of it. And he said, those of you who have the strong conscience and you understand your freedom and you realize there's nothing behind that meat, it's good meat, you still don't eat. You give up your right to indulge yourself for the benefit and the sake of the weaker brother. Then he moves into the ninth chapter, and he addresses in a much more personal way another right that he's willing to to relinquish and give up. And it's the right of his respect. He should have been given great respect as an apostle, as someone that God had set apart for the purpose of bringing revelation and helping the establishment of the Gentile church. Quite frankly, we are the beneficiaries of that work. As the generations have gone on and as we have been able to turn to so much of the Scripture that has been written by the hand of Paul under the direction and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Paul would look at that and say, that's worthy of respect and you guys don't even respect me. You you pick away and, and you accuse me of being strong in my letters and weak in my presence. And he says, well, if that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. I, in essence, he, he's basically saying, I'm willing to give up that right. He followed that by saying, I'm willing to give up the right of remuneration. I, you, you ought to be taking care of me when I come and minister to you. But you haven't done that. And then he says, the only way I've been able to survive is I've had to work with my own hands and other churches have sent for my support. But he said, you know what? That's all right. That's okay. Look, if you will, down there at verse 23. He says, now, uh, actually I'm going to back up to, uh, yeah, 23. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. I'm willing to give up each of those things that I've addressed to this point for the benefit of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when we come to the latter part of this ninth chapter, he continues and he, and he introduces a whole other realm of subject and he talks to us about those attitudes. If we would put it this way, we could talk about the attitudes that a Christian Olympian, a person who is competing for the prize should have in that process of preparing to run the best race that we can possibly run. And so, he brings us to another realm of understanding as we get down to that 16th verse, and he tells us basically this. He says, I would love for all of you to have an attitude of commitment. I would love for you to be so committed to what you have been called to as children of Christ that that commitment would would clear the pathway for your future, and it would give you the direction that you intend to go in order to bring glory to the Lord. There are three primary questions that people will ask to try to come to grips with truths of who we are. The first question people ask is this, why am I here? Or, sorry, that's the second question. First question, where did I come from? Second question, why am I here? Third question, where am I going? The first and third questions are quite frankly very easily answered for Christians. For people who do not know the Savior, those are perplexing questions. In fact, those are frightening questions. The where did I come from is not nearly as as frightening as where am I going? But for those of us who have accepted Christ as our Savior, both of those questions are answered very clearly from the Word of God. I came from an eternal plan that God the Father had before the worlds were ever created. And He formed me in my mother's womb. He knows how I am made. He's put me together as He has wanted to and He has established the number of days that I will live out upon this earth. That's kind of a neat thing to know. That we are the creation of God Himself. We come from His desire, we come from His will, and we are made in His likeness, in His image, though that has been distorted by sin. It is certainly not a perfect reflection of who He is, but that's where I come from. I know exactly where I'm going. Because of my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, because of the fact that He paid the penalty of my sin, and He took the punishment that should fall on my shoulders for all eternity... Because he did that and I received him by faith and trusted in his finished work at the cross of Calvary. His righteousness has been given to me so that the Father sees me in the righteousness of his Son no longer being under the condemnation of sin, but now having within me at this moment eternal life. And the presence of the Lord Himself dwelling within me, so that to be absent from this body means I go immediately to be present with the Lord. And I am looking forward, perhaps, not to death that takes me into the presence of the Lord, but the coming of the Savior in that event that we call the rapture, where He calls Those who are His, the dead in Christ rising first, then we which are alive and remain caught up together to be with the Lord forever. I know where I'm going. So numbers 1 and 3 are pretty clear. Easy to answer. The second question is where it gets muddled. Why am I here? The only reason it's muddled is because there's a struggle going on. And the struggle is between that which I want to do and the life that I want to live and the direction that I want to go as that struggle is played out with the reason for which I am here which is to accomplish the will of the Father to bring glory to His name. That's why I'm here. And in The commonalities, we move the same direction. In the uniqueness, I move the direction of His will for my life in order to run the race for the purpose of winning the prize. You see, with that struggle, I'm not really racing anybody else. I'm racing myself. Because you have to race yourself. And the race is between your will and the will of the Father. Why am I here? I'm here to accomplish the Father's will. That would be the ideal, wouldn't it? And that's what we should be aiming for. And so Paul tells us that's going to require certain attitudes. It's not just actions, but it's that which drives the actions. It's the attitudes with which you do things. And so he introduces us to what some of those attitudes are as you go back to that 16th verse. And he talks to us about this attitude of commitment in which he declares for himself the will that God has for him. Here is the attitude that he embraces, and here's here's the commitment that he makes. He says, I will preach. You notice that there in verses 16 and 17? For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with the stewardship. Well, someone might say this. They might say, well, that's great for the Apostle Paul. That's the purpose that God had for him, to proclaim the gospel. Let me ask you this important question within the realm of God's will for you, do you understand that it includes your involvement in reaching others with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do you understand that? It doesn't mean that you're going to necessarily be like Paul and leaving your home and traveling to different cities, though some will, but by the grace of God, maybe some of our young people that, <laughs> I, I want to go over here and I want to talk to them, but they're not here today. Are you guys lonely? You, little, little, You're not lonely? No, you know what? If you want to fall asleep, you can lay down on the pew now. Isn't that nice? don't do it, I'm going to be watching, okay? (laughs) But with the young people, maybe the Lord is going to raise some up that will travel around like that. But He has put you in a realm of influence where you have family members who do not know the Savior, and you have neighbors who do not know the Savior, and you have friends who do not know the Savior, and you have colleagues that do not know the Savior. And one of the privileges that the Lord allows us to have is to be light in a dark world. To be salt. To create the desire of thirst for the one who can set them free from the bondage of sin. And so in a very real sense, this attitude becomes ours. Perhaps in not the exact same way, but with this same understanding. I am committed to preach. I am committed to declare, to open up verbally as well as with my life the realities of who Jesus Christ is and what he did for us. He goes on in the next verse to tell us another issue that this involves. He says, What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the the gospel. He's saying I'm willing to be so committed that I'll deny myself in order to accomplish this goal, this purpose, with this attitude of commitment to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that needs Him and does not know Him. And then the third, and I know we talked about these last week, so I'm not going to expand on them any further. But as you get down into the the last verses there, from verse 19 down through verse 23, part of the commitment that the Apostle Paul had was that he was willing to adapt whatever was necessary in order to reach those who need Christ. To the Jew, he became as a Jew. To the Gentile, those who are without the law, he became as a Gentile. To the weak, he became as the weak. And he says, I have become all things to all men. For what purpose? That I might win some. And he says, you know, that's what the Lord intends for us. That that you would adapt to whatever the need is In reaching out to those who you know who do not know Christ as Savior. And Paul had said earlier, if I do this willingly, there's reward. And he says, if I'm not willing, I do it anyway because I'm under constraint. I am am required to do this. Well, you know what I consider to be one of the great privileges of being a follower of Christ? being able to tell other people about the Savior. It's not not a a task. It's a privilege. And Paul says, the attitude of commitment will carry you far with that. Now, he goes on into the remainder of this chapter. And as we go down here further, I want you to notice this. In verse 24, he introduces a whole new concept of attitude. I want you to have the attitude of perseverance. Perseverance. And here's the way he puts it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Well, Now, when when I read that, I, I say, my goodness, does that mean only one person in the race of accomplishing the will of the Savior is going to be able to be rewarded with the prize of running the best race? And the answer is no. What he is telling us is this. In the human race, there would be... Not, not the human race, but in the race with humans, okay? There's only one that crosses the finish line first, and that one is the one who receives the wreath, the prize. What he is saying is that we are to run as the one who would win the race, but if we are doing that the way God intends for us to do, everyone who accomplishes that will wins. Does that make sense? Do you understand? That's why the race is against ourselves. If we do not accomplish the will of the Father, we don't win the race. We we drag and we never really cross the finish line. But if we do the will of the Father, we cross the finish line and we win. That's what He says He wants from us. He says, "I want you to persevere, and with that perseverance, there are going to be some things that are required. The first is a good start. You ever watch on the the track and field where, you know, the guys will and the gals as well, they'll they'll get down and they'll they'll put their fingers right at the end of that line, just a, a tiny, little fraction of line between." Their hands and where the track itself actually begins beyond that starting point. And then they'll, they'll kick their legs out. They kick out. And that's to get rid of dirt in their feet. I don't know. They, they kick their legs out. No, they're actually stretching their muscles. Then they get down into the blocks. And when the gun goes off, they're out of there like a shot. And you'll notice they have a technique. They don't just pop right up they'll take several steps because they'll get the momentum going first. Then they begin to stand up. And now they're running the best race they can. Why? They had a good start. Okay. How good a start have you had? Now some of you might be examining yourself and saying, Oh, I don't know how well I started in this race. I'm going to tell you right now, you all had a great start. Everyone who, knew, who knows, Christ as our Savior, has and has had a great start. All of your sins were forgiven the moment you trusted Christ as Savior. Sins you've committed in the past, and from the perspective of an all-knowing Heavenly Father, every sin you ever will commit has been forgiven there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Does the start get any better than that? You you start, as a matter of fact, if you've ever wondered, I don't even know if I've ever been filled with the Spirit of God. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. The moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Spirit of God was in complete control now maybe within a minute or two you made some bad choices and now he has been resisted or maybe you followed through and and continued on and you have been filled over and over and over again with the holy spirit's control not that he you get any more of him but he takes more control of your life And you look at that and you say, you know what, I've been given the Spirit of God and and I'm off to this great start because all my sins are forgiven. And here's another thing. God says, I'm going to give you all the strength you need to make it to the finish line. Do you ever feel like giving up? Some people do. Some people do give up. But there's nobody that needs to. I'll just tell you that right now. No believer in Jesus Christ ever needs to give up. For this reason, God promises to give the strength necessary to accomplish the will that He's called you to perform. That's a promise from God. By the way, He doesn't lie. He promises to give you the grace you need to face every situation in life that might come your way. So there is no need for failure. There's no need... For abandonment of purpose, we have a great start. You say, but I'm not sure where the track goes. Now the runners, they've got their lanes, and and it's really clearly marked out for them, and they can go and say, well, I have a clearly marked pathway, and so do I. I have a map. How many of you have GPS's? Aren't GPS's good? They're on some telephones. That worked out really nicely right there. You you can get a GPS on your phone. (laughs) Anyway, um, I can tell you where you are in case you wondered. You're Grace Baptist Church, 501 Northeast 48th Street. Okay? And this is the best GPS there is. Because it tells me exactly where I need to go and the direction. And as a result of having that map, I'm off to a good start. But in any race, there are times of discouragement and there are times of doubt and fear. But guess what? Have you ever seen uh, in in races where, like the long-distance races, and and people will tell you, the the Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And it really is. For some people, it's a sprint because they don't have that much time. So they have to get it done now. And for others, you're going to live a long time by the grace of God, and for you, it's going to be a marathon. And you know what happens? All along the way, there are people standing there, with water bottles you know and as you're running you drink down that water and and you're ready to go because there's people and then you're starting to get it starts to hurt and your sides are beginning to hurt and your lungs are starting to hurt and you say I just want to quit and all along the way, you have people say, keep going, you can do it, you can make it. Have you, have you ever been in a race or if you've ever worked out in a gym and you're, you're pushing up that last 15 pounds and you're barely making it and somebody's there and saying, you can do it, come on, push, you've got to go harder. And you've got somebody to encourage you along the way and the Lord says, I've got encouragement for you all along the way. My Holy Spirit will encourage you. And I have planted people all around you. By the way, part of the reason why being part of a a local church is so important. Because you have a host of cheerleaders who are saying you can make it. You can do it. Keep going. They refresh. Here's a bottle of water. And you keep on going. And you keep going until you cross the finish line. We got a good start. In addition to that, you run with a light load. You don't get caught up with the things of the world. When the writer of Hebrews addressed this issue, he spoke about the people who have gone before us, who have become witnesses to us. They have testified to the faithfulness of the Lord through their lives and they have shown what the Lord can do for us by what he did for them. And then he says in the 12th chapter, therefore we also since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people who testify to what the the Lord has done in their lives in his faithfulness. He says, "Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race That is set before us. You go with a light load. I ran track in high school. Not great. Not even good. (laughs) But I did. I threw the discus in the shot put and I ran in a, I think it was a hundred yard dash. I'm not sure I ever finished it. (laughs) But anyway, no I did. Anyway, getting the, the track shoes. When we went to the sports place, the, the athletic shop I'd look for the lightest shoes I could find very very light because you didn't want the encumbrance on your feet and you would, you would wear very light shorts and, and a very light shirt so that there would be no weight and the Lord says listen that's the way it is in, in your physical life the same thing is true in the spiritual realm the sin that so easily besets us that needs to go. Men, that means the pornography needs to go. That needs, means the, the lust that's generated by those things that you see in the movies you watch and the television programs needs to go. And ladies, that tongue that causes so much damage and hurts so deeply that has to stop and then things that are good but they're not the best the weights they have to go the sin and the weights. You know when you're warming up the race, you try to get your muscles nice and loose so you wear a sweatshirt and you wear sweatpants and you, you try to keep your body real loose but when it's time to run, off comes the sweatshirt, off come the sweatpants and you're ready to go. That's what the Lord says is the way it is for the for us in our spiritual lives. We've had a good start. We run with a light load and then... We Discipline our bodies, oh, now he gets into something real personal here. you get down to verses twenty five look at look at the first part of verse twenty five Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things, and then down to verse twenty seven but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified when he when he talks about this disqualification he 's talking about not being able to win the prize that the Lord intended for us to win. He says, there is there is a sense in which the condition of your body is tied to the effectiveness of your witness. And he says, you know what? I discipline my body. I, I try to to go to the gym a few mornings a week. I try to get in before I come into the office because if I wait till later in the day it it just doesn't happen you know the worst part is getting out of bed it's just like oh I don't want to do this again and then you say oh but you have to do this requires some discipline so you get up and I wake up Debbie and say honey you need to go down and make me bacon and eggs and hash (laughs) browns No, believe me, that does not happen. But she does on occasion on her own. Oh, man, I am really getting looked at right now. <laughs> this week she got up and she made me eggs and um, sausage and waffles. Usually I have uh, a bowl of oatmeal and some juice and some coffee and I'm ready to go. Anyway, how do we get on that? Off to the side... here's, Here's what we know. My body needs to be disciplined. If you were one of the ancient runners, you would generally train for 10 months prior to the event in which you participated, and you would be observed for the depth of character that you had. If your character was blotched by inappropriate behavior, the ancient races would have you eliminated and they would parade those who went through the training process and disciplined themselves appropriately and maintained their honor and integrity. They would go through a parade prior to their participation in the races. The modern day Olympians will train for years They will train four to eight hours every day. Some of you probably read about Phelps and the number of calories he eats every day because he burns up so much energy practicing and swimming for four to eight hours every day. And he eats thousands and thousands of calories. And I want to be just like Greg Phelps. (laughs) Without all the swimming. (laughs) <laughs> and he can just do that because he burns up all these calories. Well, the Lord says, you know what? If you're going to run for me, you, you need some discipline. You know what that means? I Just to get real practical about this, it means you've got to get to bed early on Saturday nights. So you come to church and you can pay attention. And you can participate in worship and you can listen. It means that you don't overindulge. To the point where you can hardly function. It means you you get the rest that you need. And you get the exercise that you need. We don't talk about that very much in Christian circles. You know why? Because it's meddling. Paul says, I discipline my body. And he means his body. He finally brings us to the last element of attitude, which is the anticipation that he has. He says, beginning there, I'll I'll read it, verse 24 in the middle. Run in such a way that you may obtain it, the prize. And everyone who competes for the prize is tempered in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore, I run thus, not with uncertainty. I know my course. It, it's clear. And then he says, not as one who beats the air. You ever watch the amount of energy that a, that a boxer has to expend when he's throwing punches and he's not hitting anything? He says, I don't do that. I don't, I don't just stand there and punch the air. He says, when I'm out in the fight, I want the blow to land. And I want to take the opponent down. And he knows that his opponents are spiritual, and the weapons of his warfare are spiritual weapons. And he says, I don't beat the air. He says, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Here's the issue. The anticipation is that I'm going to live life in such a way that I will not be disqualified. Some people are disqualified because right after the start of the race, they sit down. Some people are disqualified because they start the race and they run, but they make up their own rules. And some people are disqualified because they just never finish the race. And all they talk about is how they ran yesterday. Here's what I did yesterday. You haven't finished the race. You finish the race when you cross the line and you look into the eyes of the Savior. Then you can anticipate the prize. For those who run lawfully, the Lord says, I have a crown of righteousness, or pardon me, an incorruptible crown. The crown of righteousness is for living in such a way that I'm anticipating the arrival of Christ and I'm looking forward to that day. He talks about another crown of rejoicing, which is characterized by those that we have influenced in helping them come to the Savior. And he talks about the crown of life, which is the crown for successfully facing trials. So I anticipate not being disqualified and I anticipate the prize. Folks, the Olympics are beginning this week. When you watch them, and most of you probably will, somewhere along the line, you're going to see it on the news or you're going to actually tune in and watch some of the Olympics and you'll see what's going on. Let it be a reminder to you that you're in a race too run to win the prize let's stand father what a privilege it is to be an olympian and each one of those who have trusted Christ as savior Is such a person. We would pray for those who as yet have not trusted Christ and pray that even today your Holy Spirit would enlighten their eyes to the need to by faith receive Christ as their Savior. And Father, for those of us who know Christ, I pray that you would help us to run the race for the prize that awaits at the finish line for every one of your children who is committed, who perseveres, who anticipates and runs the race for the glory of Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.